<laughs> Hi, Drew. Good to have you on the show. Hardy, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So uh, for everybody who doesn't know you, could you please tell us a bit about yourself? <clears throat> yeah, so most people know me as the fit to fat to fit guy. So back in 2011, this was a long time ago, I had this crazy idea <clears throat> to get fat on purpose. And here I was, a personal trainer, six-pack abs, had been in shape pretty much my entire life. So I never experienced what it was like to be overweight. But then here I was as a trainer trying to help people who were overweight the majority of their life. And there was an obvious disconnect. I couldn't understand why it was so hard for them just to do what I was telling them to do. I would give them meal plans and workouts and say, look, it's not that hard. It's pretty simple. You just do it. And you put down the junk food. You go to the gym and you'll see results. Like, why is it so hard for you guys just to stay consistent? And they would tell me, you know, Drew, you don't understand. Like for you, it's been easy your whole life and you don't understand how hard this is. And so that's kind of where this idea of fit to fat to fit came from of me gaining 75 pounds on purpose to gain a better understanding of what it was like to be overweight for the first time in my life so that I could better relate to my clients and better help them and they could better relate to me. And it built this trust <clears throat> and I had more empathy by the end of it because it was so, it was way harder than I thought it was going to be. It was super humbling and I learned a lot of uh, valuable lessons from doing this crazy experiment. So, uh, Drew, before we talk about keto and your best training and diet advice and so on and so forth, um, I know you've shared your story from getting to uh, fit to fat to fit quite a few times, but I think it's so, so inspiring to so many people. So uh, you have to share it also with my audience. So <laughs> please speak, yeah. speak to that. <laughs> so the idea was six months I couldn't exercise, right? No exercise. And I ate a typical American diet. And as many of you guys know, out in Germany, many Americans are, you know, we like to eat a lot of food and <laughs> the most obese nations in the world. And so um, it was easy for me to put on 75 pounds. It wasn't easy. Sorry. It was easy in the fact that it just, the weight kept piling on, piling on. Even What were you eating? Like, like how, how was the diet? How, how did so, your diet look like? So very highly processed um, <laughs> carbohydrates and refined sugars type of diet. So for example, and for breakfast, we, we have some type of sugary cereal, some type of juice or bread, like toast, and that's a complete American breakfast, you know? And uh, a couple hours later, I'd be starving, so I'd have some granola bars and a soda, right? More sugar. And then for lunch, I would have, you know, All maybe, the good things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for lunch, I would have, like, peanut butter sandwiches on white bread and, and chips, and then I would have another snack between lunch and dinner. Then I would eat dinner, which was usually pasta and more bread. And then uh, a snack, like a, a dessert before you go to bed. And that's a typical day in the life of an average American. And people would email me every single day saying, Drew, you eat exactly the foods that I'm eating. So I have these <laughs> highly processed foods. And the interesting thing is all this food is very affordable. It's convenient. And it's designed to become addictive. It's designed yeah. specifically for your taste buds to and your brain to want that flavor because they spend millions of dollars on research to create, you know, specific blends of ingredients to make it taste a certain way so that your body craves that again, just like a drug. And so you make it cheaper than real food and it tastes really good and you get addicted to it. And then people just fall into this vicious cycle of continually eating that food. And that's why we have this problem and we try and willpower our way through it and not eat that food and eat less of it and work out and we're just failing miserably because we've created this 
uphill battle that seems almost impossible for some people to let go of that addiction to food. <clears throat> so anyways, my eyes were opened. It was very humbling. I put on 75 pounds. What, was it hard for you, like eating so much junk food? So, uh, for instance, because I think um, everybody can enjoy this kind of diet for a couple of days. But, um, <laughs> yeah, if you if you are naturally lean and, and um, you have the starting point, I think it, it was quite difficult at, at a certain point, wasn't it? So. Oh, for sure. Because, <clears throat> you know, I never really ate that food consistently. Like, I, like you said, I could eat it for a couple of days and then be so sick of it. But to do yeah. it for six months was way hard. <laughs> I, felt, I felt so miserable. I remember after the first three weeks, I started snoring, um, which affected my sleep, which affected my energy levels. And um, the food was surprising to me at how addictive I, I became to this. So, because even though I felt miserable eating that food, my body would crave it again. Like a couple hours later, I would be absolutely like wanting that food it did almost become like this addiction and I, i recognize why people get stuck in this place of being comfortable like you're you're you become comfortable with being uncomfortable and living this large lifestyle as an overweight person and it just becomes comfortable at some point um and so the idea of change seems impossible and so i could really tap into what a lot of people feel by eating this food day in and day out for doing it for six months and it was scary it what, was it was really what, hard what were like the, the the like you've mentioned you started snoring but what were the other like kind of side effects quote yeah. unquote um that you had in, in this experiment yeah. like besides so, obviously looking bad okay. and <laughs> yeah yeah obviously the man like the man boobs and the big <laughs> stomach and the love yeah. handles like the, i knew that was going to happen but It was, you know, I had little kids at the time. Uh, they were two years old and a newborn. And just playing with them was exhausting. Walking up the stairs, I was breathing heavy all the time. Bending over to tie my shoes, like I, I had to hold my breath. These things that you take for granted when you're in shape your whole life started to become very, very difficult for me. And it affected my, my self-esteem. Like I identified myself as what my body looked like so that when I became fat, To be totally honest with you, I freaked out. Like I didn't know who I was anymore. I, I wanted to tell strangers in public say and say to them like, hey, guys, I'm not really overweight. This is just an experiment. Like this is what I normally look like. Go to this website. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I felt so uncomfortable, you know, being overweight for the first time because my identity back then was my body. Um, and so it was very eye-opening. It was very humbling. And the biggest surprise and the biggest lesson I took away from this whole thing was how much of this transformation was mental and emotional and how much of people's transformation is mental and emotional versus just physical. And that's what I took away from this whole experience. And, and, and uh, did you suffer from depression or anxiety and stuff like that? Because you said that, that you, that you've identified as being a fat person. So, yeah. <clears throat> um, I wouldn't say I was depressed, but I definitely got down on myself because um, the anxiety of like worrying about what other people thought of me really got to me. And, um, cause like I said, my identity back then was my body. And now that I didn't have this muscular lean body, I was the, uh, an overweight person. I played this game or the story in my head of people thinking, uh, judging me thinking, Oh, that guy's lazy or, You know, and I let those stories become reality in my head, and it really affected my self-esteem. I wouldn't say I was depressed, but definitely got me down because um, I wanted people to understand why I was doing this. And but I 
you know, I couldn't go out of my way to tell all these strangers like, hey, <laughs> go to this website, you know. I just had to let that judgment sink in. Whether people were judging me or not, I don't know. But you feel judged when you're overweight in, in this society. You do feel judged. And um, uh, But I think a lot of it is in our heads for sure. But it's um, it was really, really eye-opening, this whole experience. And so I have no regrets doing it. Luckily, I got back to fit, but that was a whole – you know, another journey of being humbled and it didn't, things didn't go as planned. Uh, I ended up losing the weight, but man. Sorry to interrupt. Before we talk about that, like what were your uh, friends and your wife, what were they saying to to this whole experiment and when you eventually really got fat? So. Yeah. So my, my ex-wife, she was married to me at the time. She was very supportive of this. She thought it was Mm -hmm. a good idea because I used to be super strict. I was that health nut. And I couldn't understand why it was so hard for people. And so this was, um, she was very supportive of me going through this. So, um, but she would get so annoyed at me because I wasn't as helpful around the house. I didn't have as much energy to help out with the kids. Um, And I had low self-esteem. And when you have low self-confidence, like she didn't care that I was overweight. Like that didn't make her less attracted to me. I think it bothered her that I let it bother me. And therefore, she's like, no, like, like, you look fine, like, you still look good, like, but I was like, in my head, I don't believe that, mm. you know, even though she would say that. And so I just had no self-esteem. And there's nothing sexier than confidence. And she writes about this in our book, in my book, Fit to Fat to Fit. She has a chapter to herself about her perspective. And um, yeah, it was, she got annoyed and she got frustrated and um, it took a toll on her marriage for sure. We didn't get divorced because of that, but it definitely took a toll on our marriage to do that for six months. It was really, really hard. Mm. And and how did you eventually lose the weight? So, Yeah, so the six months of, of losing the weight, and, and this is what I kind of compare it to in my book, is you know my whole life I've been on top of this mountain of fitness, right? And all the trainers that have been over, uh, in shape their entire life are up here, and their clients are you know way down here. And the clients want to get to the top, and the trainers are yelling at them from the top, like, hey, just keep coming. It's not that hard. No excuses. Don't give up keep pushing, it seems so easy, looking down, the path coming up, it just seems so easy. But we forget what that journey up is like. And so for me, I came down to the bottom of the mountain for the first time in my life, and that journey up was way harder than I ever imagined. So losing the weight and overcoming the mental emotional challenges that come along with that, like emotional eating, right, food addiction, which is real. And um, I didn't realize how powerful food addiction would be and how real it is after having done this. I just thought people lacked willpower. So the journey back to fit was very, very humbling. Um, and the way I did it was actually kind of surprising. The first 30 days, I didn't do any exercise. All I did was change my diet from eating 5,000 plus calories of uh, of like cinnamon toast crunch, which is a sugary cereal and lots of soda and you know lots of snacks that we have here in America. Um, you know, I went from eating that to 2,000 calories of real whole food and um, didn't do any exercise the first 30 days. And that really helped my blood work um, you know, in so many ways because everything was in the red, meaning like I was really unhealthy based off of my blood work, right? Even for six months of eating this way. Imagine someone eating this way for six decades and now trying to change their life. It's really, really hard. Um, but it starts with nutrition. And so that's what I wanted to mm. share 
so that after the 30 days, I did go back to the gym and exercise, which was really, really hard. But 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 how how were you like changing the, your diet? Because I think um, breaking those bad habits that you've developed must been like really, really hard, like eating shit for six months and then suddenly <laughs> eating healthy. Um, I think it must uh, it, it was like very, very hard. So it was. So the first two weeks, I'll say, were the most hellish experiences yeah. of my life going through as if like I've never been addicted to drugs and trying to get off of that but I can empathize a little bit getting off of food because I only ate this way for six months and to go from eating that to eating you know broccoli and chicken <laughs> and spinach and cauliflower and all these healthy foods your body misses the high it gets from eating these processed foods that taste really good that make you feel really good And it creates this vicious cycle. And so when I switched over to eating the healthy food, it didn't taste as good. I had headaches. I was grumpy. I was moody. I was starving all the time. Even though I was eating 2,000 calories, which is still a lot of food, um, I just I felt miserable. And I remember um, blogging about it and vlogging about it on my YouTube channel about how hard those first two weeks were. And that's where it clicked for me. This is what my clients have been telling me. When, they, when I give them a meal plan – And I say, here you go, follow this, be perfect at it. <laughs> I didn't understand how, you know, uh, how hard it would be just to follow that, even for me, for myself as a trainer. Yes, I did it, but I did it because I was accountable to an audience. I had thousands of people watching me from the TV shows and following me on social media. And so I had to perform. I had to do it. But, man, it was way more powerful than I thought. So it was a very humbling experience and helps me relate to my clients. And I think they – Uh, people could relate to me more because I finally understood the power of food addiction and how real that is. And for the first time in my life, I experienced that to a small degree and I could empathize with people finally of just how hard that, that battle is letting go of that food that's been controlling you your whole life. Yeah. And, and it's like a billion dollar industry, isn't it? Like yeah. scientists, like working on making th those things like as addictive as possible. And uh, yeah. 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 So, so so what happened then? So the first two weeks were like pure hell, but um, what happened then? So here's the thing. Your body is really good at adapting to new environments. So after two weeks or so, that's usually enough time for your body to get used to what you're doing to it now. So the cravings became more manageable, right? They were very intense in the beginning, like want, like going through withdrawal symptoms and like wanting the, those drugs or the food, right? Like my body, I could definitely feel that. Um, but after about two weeks, eventually those, those symptoms, those powerful um, cravings kind of go away <clears throat> and you start to adjust and start to feel good again, eating real food. So after two weeks, it became more manageable. And I think that's true for everyone. If they could just stay consistent for the first two weeks, you know, mm. sign up for a support group, join a Facebook group, like do whatever you need to do to stay accountable to an audience or have your family or friends keep you accountable Because those first two to four weeks are really essential at staying consistent so that your body will adjust. Because if you do it for two days and then go back to your, your eating habits and do it, your body never really has time to adjust. But um, it did become more manageable. Um, you know, going back into the gym was a very humbling experience because I was still really overweight. I, was, I lost all my strength, all my stamina, all my endurance. And it was one of the hardest things um, that I've ever done to get back in shape. And so – Yeah, there was days where, man, I was just, I was super sore. You know, I didn't want to go to the gym. Uh, I didn't want to do the workouts. I just wanted to lay in bed and eat some, you know, junk food. 
And that's never happened to me before. But now going through this experience, I can relate to people and I see why people get stuck. I see why people get comfortable getting stuck in that stage of like, okay, I know I need to work out. I know I need to eat healthy. But sometimes I just feel lazy and sometimes I don't want to do that hard stuff because I like my comfort zone. And, you know, being comfortable eating the food I want and not pushing my body to the limits every single day, I get that. Um, so I definitely have empathy for people now that struggle with transformation. And that's why it's so much more of a mental and emotional challenge for people to overcome versus saying, hey, just eat less and work out. I know we think it's so mm. simple. And it is simple in theory, but it's not easy. Otherwise, everyone would be in shape, you know? Yeah. Great, great, so. great example, because I think that most people actually think it's like an an information problem, but it isn't, right? Like uh, most people know, okay, they, they need to exercise more. They need to eat like broccoli and all those healthy things. But um, it's like really the emotional battle that, that is the, the actual struggle. So, Yeah, yeah, that's so true. And so that's kind of what I learned from the experience. So yes, I got back to fit. Um, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. It didn't happen easily. Um, and uh, yeah, my journey, just, I want to be very clear, was different than someone who, let's say, you know, hasn't worked out their whole life, right? Like I had muscle memory. I had the discipline as a trainer. I had the knowledge as a trainer. Um, so my journey is different than someone that, let's say, has been 300 plus pounds their whole life and trying to get back in shape in six months, you know, might take longer for them. For me, my body reacted really quickly. Uh, so I don't try and compare my journey to someone else's journey and saying, hey, if I did it, you can do it too. But um, I, came, I came out of it with a new perspective, a new mm. standing, more respect, more empathy for those that struggle. And that's kind of what I've built my brand around. And so fast forward to today, you know, I wrote uh, a New York Times bestselling book called Fit to Fit to Fit, highlighting my journey, the lessons that I learned. Um, you know, it turned into a TV show here in America where we had two seasons where we put other trainers through this process so that they could become more empathetic and they could have a better understanding of what people go through. Because I think empathy is really powerful. And it's something that's not talked about enough in the fitness industry. The world in general needs more empathy, I think. But specifically in the fitness industry, I think that's something that's miss missing and no one's really talking about. And that's what I'm trying to bring to the fitness industry is empathy first, right? Mm. Uh, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's something that I live by. And that's, <laughs> that's so powerful. Uh, certifying trainers under the fit to fit fit brand. Now we, now we can coach trainers with this uh, mentality so that they show up with that first. Like we think, Oh, I just need more knowledge as a trainer, but no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And so if you show up caring and have empathy first, People are going to be willing to listen to the knowledge that you have instead of the other way around. Like, hey, look at me. I have all this knowledge mm. and, you know, I'm very important. But, you know, if you could show up and, and have that empathy for people, it's going to be a game changer, I think, in the fitness industry. So, so Drew, um, what have been like the biggest epiphanies that you've had um, trying or, or doing this experiment? Like what have been the biggest epiphanies that you've had? Yeah, I kind of mentioned them before, but the mental and emotional struggle is what people, you know, suffer. You know, that's what they struggle with the most. Um, it's not so much, you know, the physical aspect, uh, like eating less and working out and macros and calories and supplements. And I know that we want it to be just physical. We want it to just be like this magic pill you take that, you know, gets rid of all your addictions. And, you know, you never crave junk food again. <laughs> and you have a six pack just by taking it, like, without having to do the hard work. Like, we all want that, but it doesn't exist. Um, so helping people overcome their mental and emotional challenges, that's the key to, 
um, making it into a lifestyle change. And um, the second thing is, you know, uh, the power of, of food addiction and how real that is. And mm. having empathy first, I think, is something that can can change this world for the better, can change uh, people's perspective of health and fitness. Because I think that's the problem is our perspective is, you know, people look at Instagram models or celebrities and think, man, I want to look like that, thinking that's what's going to make them happy. And if they get just get the perfect body, then all the problems will go away. It will be nice to them. People will love them. And so we're doing it for validation because we think as a society, if you look good, then people treat you better and that's what's accepted versus learning to love yourself where you are now while you're working on a better version of yourself. Mm, and that's so powerful because I always also thought that if I somehow get in shape, I will be so happy and this yeah. and that. And I think it's like a big trap that, that people fall into. And um, it's the same like with making a lot of money and yep. having a great relationship. If you're happy, you will be happy even if you achieve your goal or you don't. So Yeah, yeah, that's so true. And we think we were looking for these outside sources. Yeah. Like money you know, uh, power, a job status or title or, um, you know, importance in this world. And then also like looking a certain way and having certain cars and houses, like we think those things are going to bring us happiness when in reality it's a myth, it's a lie. Uh, otherwise everyone with those things would be happy, right? Like yeah. If, <laughs> I know a lot of people with six packs that look great on the outside that are miserable on the inside. Right? <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's not guaranteed. So like, you know, it, it, stop looking for these outside sources and learn to be happy now while you continue to work on a better version of yourself. And you'll you'll realize that life won't pass you by versus mm. like, hey, one day when I have this body, one day when I have this much money, then I'll deserve to be happy. Then people will respect me and people will like me instead of like learning how to be happy now where you are now, which is a choice while you continue to better yourself. And that's kind of my mentality of, of helping people now. So um, how would you actually go about, like, for instance, if somebody who's now listening to this is out of shape and wants to get a better body, um, how would they break those bad habits? Like so eating think, the junk food, uh, not exercising, not sleeping um, enough, and so on and so forth. So. Yeah, so I that's one thing about my approach that's a little bit different. So when I work with people, I definitely give them meal plans and workout programs and supplements that are tailored to their lifestyle and their goals. Mm. But we don't stress that as the most important thing. That's why I have people start implementing mm. things like meditation, which is great for mindfulness and being present in the moment, which carries over into you know, learning how to respond thoughtfully instead of reacting. Because what mm. happens is we are in a reactionary state most of the time. Um, you know, we're always looking for like the next thing, like, okay, like I got this, you know, work today, I gotta get this done, I gotta pick up the kids, I gotta pay these bills. And so I just need something to shove in my face and I don't mm -hmm. even know what it is, but I just need food. And, and so instead of reacting to stressed out environments and we eat our emotions in those situations where you react and you're like, you know what, I'm stressed out, give me chocolate and wine and that will make me feel better, right? And we create that habit. But if you can learn to be mindful in the moment and thoughtfully respond and say, okay, these emotions are coming up. I'm feeling stressed out. And instead of reacting to those emotions and those triggers to go eat that junk food, those things you know you shouldn't eat, learning how to respond and observe those thoughts rather than becoming those thoughts. Mm -hmm. um, the other things uh, that I think help out are things like uh, positive affirmations. So saying 
positive words about yourself to yourself every single day until you until you do believe them. Maybe you don't believe them in the beginning. That's okay. But your perception of yourself starts starts to change if you do that consistently. And then a gratitude list. Finding things to be grateful for every single day is what's going to help you be happy where you are now mm. and, and realize that you are blessed versus one day when I have all this. Mm. Then it's like learning to be happy now. So the gratitude list is really, really important to learn to be happy now. Um, and so those are things I implement with my clients on a daily basis is like, hey, I, I, I could care less really honestly if you get your workout in or not, but like are you working in more often than you're working out? Meaning we all know the importance of working out, but what about the importance of working in? The mindfulness, the meditation, the positive affirmations, the gratitude on a daily basis, and then that will eventually carry over into, okay, I love my body, so therefore I'm going to go work out today versus I hate my body and I need to punish myself uh, mm. You know, burn off those calories that I ate last night. You know what I'm saying? Like we all come yeah. from mentality. So it's helping people shift their perception. That's kind of how I work with people. I, I really, really love this because I think um, in the fitness industry, there's like so much about sacrifice and you have to struggle. And yeah, it's about like working hard and yeah. all, all those things. And for instance, like um, I think it's BS. Like I have a six pack and um It's not a lot of work. When you got the right habits in place, you can work out three or four times a week for 30 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour, and you will look amazing. And I think um, there's so, so many people on social media that are pushing this like, oh, you have to hate your life. And um, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I, I think it's a myth. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, I believe that too. It is a myth. But. Just helping people shift their perception. If you could shift your perception, then you could change your reality of what you see, and then you could uh, change your life. And that's what works for so many people is the power of perception. Very powerful. So uh, the first thing would be a meditation, mm -hmm. positive affirmation, and having a gratitude journal, right? Yeah. So, that so every single day, I think that's very important. So what will be the next steps? So the next steps would be uh, being accountable to someone. So whether you hire a coach or a trainer or join a Facebook group or do this journey with your spouse or your loved ones or friend, something like that. Because if you're trying to do it by yourself, it's really, really easy to, if you're not staying accountable to someone, be like, you know what? No one's going to notice if I have two donuts today. Like I don't have no one to report <laughs> to versus like if you hire a trainer like me as your coach, you're checking in with me once a week on a Skype call. I'm, I'm messaging you 24-7. You have 24-7 access to me as your coach where I check in with you. I have you report your food to me, take screenshots. And then when you have that accountability, you're like, okay, I'm paying to work with Drew. I'm not going to you know, throw away my money. And you, know, you, know, you probably won't be as likely to you know, uh, eat that food or not go to the gym because you, know you have to report into someone. You're mm. five times more likely to achieve your goals when you have a coach or a mentor or someone to stay accountable to. And that's, that's just science. That's facts. So <clears throat> it's really something important to look into as an investment in yourself. Mm. And um, the next step would be like probably exercising and getting your diet right. Yeah. So, after uh, that would be that those things that we know we need to do. Um, but more importantly than, than that also is sleep and stress management. We're a very mm. stressed out society. We don't focus on sleep a whole lot. We think, oh, if I sacrifice more time, I can give more to the world. I can make more money. I can work harder. 
But you're when you're pouring from an empty cup over and over and over again, eventually you're going to get burnt out. Mm. So if you look at it as pouring from a full cup, you have so much more to give. You show up in this world as a better version of you. So if you're a mom or a dad, you're a better mom or dad when you take care of your health. You're a better employee. You're a better boss. Uh, you're a better spouse. You're a better brother or sibling or whatever. Like you have more. You show up better. But we think it's selfish if I take time to meal prep or if I take time to exercise. I need to give more to my spouse or my kids. And, you know, I get that. But eventually you're going to burn out if you don't take care of yourself first. So so um, I think this is like a really, really important topic because I think um, so, so many people are stressed out by so many things nowadays, like having a, a bad relationship and, um, yeah, having a stressful job and so on and so forth. So what would you say to them? Like, because I think a lot of people are struggling, especially struggling with, with bad relationships. So uh, what would be your advice to them? Yeah, I really do think a daily meditation practice of even five minutes per day can help reduce stress levels immensely and make sleep a priority. Like, mm. you know, don't like make that a priority. If you make it a priority, you're not going to compromise. You're not going to, you know, stay up late to watch a movie um, and wake up super early to get in a hardcore workout when your body needs rest. And then you're up, you're, you're using all these stimulants to stay awake during the day And then you need stimulants, or not stimulants, but you need sedatives to put you to sleep at night. And then it creates this vicious cycle. So if you could learn to meditate, I think, just five to ten minutes every single day, and you stay consistent with it, you'll be able to manage that stress around you so much more. Because then you're not reacting to those stressors in your life. You can thoughtfully respond and breathe through it and say, okay, I got this. This is stressful, but uh, I don't need to become my thoughts. I don't need to become so reactionary to these Uh, stressors around me, I can thoughtfully respond and show up, um, you know, more present and more mindful uh, in each moment. So whether it's at work, whether it's in traffic, whether it's mm. with your kids, you show up a better version of yourself because you're you're in the moment and you're not becoming your thoughts. You're not reacting to those thoughts. You are observing those thoughts and you get to choose how you react um, in those situations as you build that meditation practice, which can help out with managing stress. Yeah, and also um, the the thing about sleeping, I had I, I've talked to like a couple of scientists on the show, like uh, Lyme McDonald and and Eric Holmes, and they all were also talking about like when you are sleeping just one hour or two more per day, um, it also um, reduces uh, fat gain and all sorts of things. So uh, for for everything body composition related, it's also a huge huge benefit. So yeah, exactly, I agree with that. So um, how would the diet plan look like and how would the exercise regime look like? Because I think there's a lot of contradicting advice on the Internet nowadays. Like a lot of people are saying, okay, carbs are good, uh, carbs are bad, and you need to have this diet or that diet. And I think a lot of people are confused nowadays. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, the fitness industry has done a huge disservice to a lot of people, confusing people with what – You know, and the mainstream media, I'll, I'll say that too, because one day they'll publish a study saying fat's bad for you, you raise your cholesterol, American Heart Association says coconut oil will kill you, and then the next day they're saying, oh, eggs and bacon are okay now, and then, you know, people are like, wait, carbs are good, carbs are bad, like, and then we start looking at food as good or bad when food is just food. Like, there's consequences to what you eat. There's no good or bad food, it's just 
there's going to be consequences based off what you eat. The problem that we have is like, oh, this food is good, this food is bad, and therefore if I eat that bad food, then I am bad, then I'm a failure, and all that guilt and shame comes up, and people beat themselves up and saying, all right, I'm never touching sugar ever again. They make these unrealistic goals, and before you know it, they're human, and they're, they're going to have these foods every once in a while, and then mm. they beat themselves even more, and they think that they're a failure, and the shame starts to overtake them. Like, why can't I change my body? Like, why can't I overcome this? I guess I'm not strong enough. I don't have enough willpower. And people go down this downward spiral. So, um, you know, there is a lot of contradicting information out there. Here's what I would tell people is um, we live in a day and age where we have all the information at the, you know, at the tips of our fingers. Like, you could Google whatever you want. <laughs> you could download a podcast, an audio book, <clears throat> and download that information as quickly as possible. Uh, versus having to go to a library and do resource like back in the day, you know, um, so you have access to to all the information out there. Just look at it as becoming your own self experimentation. So mm. you know, what I'm saying like research the heck out of the keto diet, for example, or the vegan diet, and do a lot of research, <clears throat> and then from there make a a decision based off of what you've researched and how you feel, and then create you know maybe a 30 day plan or there's you could download a 30-day program online or purchase one and you know start with that and see how your body feels and do some tests maybe get your mm. blood work done before and after and go off of how you feel and and look at each opportunity as a tool in your tool belt so whether it's a plant-based diet whether it's a keto diet uh, whether it's you know crossfit or zumba like look at all of these as tools in your tool belt so that you know, hey, you know what? I felt really good going plant-based. So maybe I'll try that every once in a while until I don't feel good anymore. Then I'll maybe switch it up and maybe mm. I'll try a keto diet and see how my body reacts to that. And then you have all these tools now that you've used that you've experimented with and you know what works for you and what doesn't work for you. The problem is we rely on a doctor or a celebrity <clears throat> to tell us, hey, this is the best diet for everyone. So, oh man, my friends all lost weight on this. So maybe it'll work for me. So I'm going to do it, but maybe it doesn't work so well for them. Maybe they had a bad experience or their body <clears throat> you know, processes carbs differently than their friend, and therefore they didn't see the results that they wanted. And we're all so different. I tell people mm. to become your own self-experimentation, do your own research, and then um, you know, give it at least 30 days to give your body time to adapt. And then you can make an informed decision of whether or not that you felt better, you, you, you accomplish your goals, and then move on to the next thing and keep trying new things. I really love your honesty because um, I think that most fitness people really try to push a certain diet on everybody and you, they, they are saying that you need to eat this and you need to eat that and avoid this at all costs. And um, yeah, I think what you are saying is like awesome because um, yeah, I think that most people are, are, like you've mentioned, they're looking for this magic bullet and all this magic diet like um what is Zac Efron eating or, or stuff like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> stuff like that and um they're, they're, they're thinking that those diets lead to magic results but it's really about experimentation and figuring out what works for yourself so uh yeah really appreciate yeah, it yeah you know, I'm a huge fan of the keto diet obviously like I have a yeah. book on the keto diet <laughs> program supplements but like I know that it works differently for different people and so I know that it's up to people to experiment with it I love the way I feel on keto. It's not so much a weight loss or a fat loss thing. Yes, I can lose weight better on keto, but I just love the way my brain feels. Like my brain feels so much sharper on ketones versus glucose. 
And I tend to do better with a low-carb approach, you know, most of the time. But I'm not always in ketosis. I don't think it's for everybody. But that's why I want people to experiment and find out if keto is really right for you. Don't do it for two days or five days and be like, well, man, that was really hard. Uh, That doesn't work for me. You got to give it at least 30 days to allow your body time to adjust. That's what I tell people. So. So, so how does the diet look like? Because um, low carb does mean like totally different things. Like low carb for for an endurance athlete could could be like three hundred gram, uh, grams of carbs per day. So, uh, <laughs> could you please yeah. speak to that? Yeah. So you know, there's different approaches to keto. Like for example, this week in Lake Tahoe, I am doing a Spartan race. So it's a beast. Mm. It's like twelve plus miles. Uh, lots of obstacles, and that's a different approach training for that versus like a 5K or going to the gym and doing a CrossFit workout. So that's what you know research needs to happen. Or you could go check out my book, Complete Keto, and you know I have all those topics covered. And um, you know there, it's learning the different approaches. It's not a one size fits all approach for keto. Unfortunately, you know we try and put people into these categories of 70% fat, 25% protein, 5% carbs. But, you know, maybe someone needs more protein or someone needs less protein or someone like me, I can get away with over 50 grams of carbs and stay in ketosis versus someone that is just starting. They might need to stay at 20 grams. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? <clears throat> so anyways, that, there's different approaches. And, um, you know, I'm not sure how specific you want me to get to lay out those approaches. But, um, yeah, for the most part, um, there's different approaches to different types of performance. Um, I've done... Let's see, I've done an 80-mile race where I did 80 miles in 24 hours, and that was really hard, but I did it in a ketogenic state training for it, but then on race day, I added in carbohydrates like potatoes and Hmm. fruits and berries and things like that. So, so um, when you are like uh, not training for a specific event, are you like also like doing a ketogenic diet or, um, yeah? Yeah, most of the time I'm in ketosis. <clears throat> you know, right now training for the Spartan race, I've been in ketosis pretty strictly uh, up until this point. Um, and then what I'll do is on race day, I'll probably add in some he- healthy carbs. Um, you know, there's like these uh, powdered starches you can add, and then I'll take exogenous ketones as well, which are a supplement that raises your blood ketone levels that can give your body um, a source of energy for say like a spartan race for example mm-hmm. um so there there are options um on race day of how to use both glucose and ketones as a dual fuel source for your body so your body can tap into both because both are really good sources of fuel it's just knowing how and when to apply them so what i'll do is i'll stay strict keto like all my training and then this saturday is my race and then i will um you know on the morning of race day i'll take my exogenous ketones with some mct oil powder which will, you know, help raise my blood ketone level. So I'll have ketones available for, for fuel, but I'll probably add in some glucose, uh, maybe like 50 grams or so to help fuel me for the first part of the race. Cause my body will use glucose first. And then once I burn through that glucose, now my body knows how to shift over to ketones mm. as the alternative fuel source very efficiently. And that's how I'm able to fuel my body with both fuels. Um, but I wouldn't recommend that for someone that's just starting out with keto. Like if you've only been doing keto for a week or two, that's probably not the best approach because your body doesn't know how to shift over efficiently yet. So, so, um, 
Joe, what would you tell to everybody who tried the ketogenic approach and who had problems such as cravings and um, f feeling uh, feeling bad or having a, l a low energy and um, stuff like that? So, um, yeah, what yeah. would you tell them? Should they try it again if they just try it for a couple of days and they had those quote-unquote uh, side effects um, from a ketogenic yeah. approach? Or Yeah. Yeah, so there's... Um there's mistakes that people make when they do keto. They don't ask um, or they don't research first um, how much salt or electrolytes they need to be taking in. So they'll just eat butter, bacon, and cheese thinking those are keto-friendly foods and keep the carbs low. But what they don't realize is that when they mm. shift over to eating mostly fat, their body retains less water. And so what happens is your body will expel a lot of water uh, initially, so you lose water weight, which is great. And then from there, um, what happens is your body has an imbalance of electrolytes. So sodium, potassium, magnesium, calcium, things like that. So what you need to do is replenish those, especially during the first two weeks. It's essential. Uh, otherwise, you'll, you'll experience the keto flu, which is, you know, you'll have uh, brain fog. You'll have lack of energy. Um, you'll, your muscles will get uh, cramp up sometimes. Um, lightheadedness, mm. uh, you know, headaches. And so, but if you supplement with salt, right, taking in real salt, maybe magnesium and potassium, uh, or even taking exogenous ketone supplements, that will make the transition so much easier because then you're balancing out your electrolytes. And when your electrolytes are balanced, you feel more optimal. Okay, so so a big trap that uh, people fall into or a big mistake that people are usually doing is uh, not supplementing with salt. And this yeah. causes like all sorts of bad problems. <clears throat> yeah. Exactly. So if, if you are doing the keto or you're just getting started, start taking either you can take salt pills or just mm -hmm. take a, a shot of salt with lots and lots of water. And that will get rid of any kind of if you have a headache, if you have brain fog, if you're cramping in your legs, taking that salt throughout the day will help alleviate those symptoms, adding lots of salt to your food. Mm -hmm. So most people need about two teaspoons of salt per day. But the problem is salt, just like fat we've demonized it saying, oh, stay away from fat, stay away from yeah. salt because they're bad for you. So we need to start adding salt back in because it's an essential mineral for just overall health and everyone needs it. And so, yeah, um, I think uh, that's one of the biggest mistakes that people make. So, uh, Drew, I think everybody would love to hear your best advice on training and exercising. But um, before we talk about that, is there like anything we haven't touched upon on diet specifically that you would uh, like to mention here as well? No, I mean, <clears throat> like if you want to learn more about the ketogenic diet, you could go listen to my podcast. There's a bunch of other podcasts out there. I mean, I have my book, Complete Keto, which is a kind of a complete approach to transformation is like, yes, we focus on the ketogenic diet, how to do it. Um, you know, all the research that I'm telling you to go, you can just go to the book, but we also talk about mindfulness and the mental and emotional side of transformation on top of keto. So you'll learn how to, you know, eat the ketogenic diet and exercise on the ketogenic diet, but you also learn how to meditate, do the gratitude list, the positive affirmations while you're doing keto. And that's a great complete approach to a complete transformation. Um, <clears throat> I think we, we pretty much covered everything. You need to probably learn how to test your blood ketones by purchasing a blood ketone monitor because keto is the only diet that you can prove that you're actually doing it right. Like you can test your blood. You can prick your finger, do a test, and show people, boom, I'm in ketosis. My body's producing enough ketones, 
And that's, there's no other diet that you can prove that you're doing it, right? So you're in a state of ketosis. That's what's different about the ketogenic diet is your body is in a different metabolic state and you could test it to prove that and show that you're actually in a state of ketosis, right? So <clears throat> I would say I recommend that as well. Um, as far as exercise goes, it totally depends on what your approach is. Like me training for a Spartan race is going to be different than me training to put on muscle mass, right? So like right now, my workouts consist of about two days of CrossFit style workouts, which is a very mm -hmm. high intensity, short burst of just going, you know, kind of balls to the wall and the intensity is really high. So your heart rate gets up to its maximum level for maybe 10, 15 minutes. Right. And, um, and I'll maybe do that type of workout twice a week, but then I have long, slow distance training days, like on Saturdays, which will be, you know, a long, slow pace of maybe five, six, seven miles or so. And then, you know, two days a week of sprint intervals, um, where I'll maybe sprint for 20 seconds and then I'll walk for 40 seconds <clears throat> and then I'll do the same approach for hills. So I'll set my treadmill on an incline or I live here in Utah and there's lots of mountains and hills out here where I'll run up the hill, you know, then I'll walk back down while I recover. And that kind of training is great for the Spartan race, um, you know, or any type of endurance race, the, the sprinting intervals is really important. Um, but that's kind of my approach for a Spartan race training. But, you know, if I'm training for just physique and, you know, to, for body composition, I'll add in two to three days of heavy lifting and then maybe one to two days of intervals, like a CrossFit style workout or a sprint workout. And then honestly, like I feel better when I mix in yoga or a hike, um, something that's not a workout that's going to get me you know, it's more of a mindfulness and connecting with your body mm. versus just, you know, like doing bench press and curls all day long. <laughs> Got it. And um, what would you tell to everybody who wants to gain muscle? So, uh, yeah, yeah, gaining muscle is really, really hard. It's one of the slowest progress that you'll see versus losing weight. You know, that's something that most people tend to see pretty consistently over time if you stay consistent with your approach. Gaining muscle takes time, even for men. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of women think, oh, if I lift weights, I'll get, I'll get bulky. <laughs> but in reality, it's just not true. Like, unless you're taking testosterone supplements or testosterone replacement therapy, you're not going to put on a lot of muscle mass, even if you are lifting heavy. For guys, it's hard to put on muscle. Maybe if you gained a pound of muscle a month, that's good progress. That's 12 pounds over the course of a year. You'll that's notice. That's a lot. Well, it takes eating at a calorie surplus, lifting heavy weights, recovering really hard, meaning, um, you know, maybe Epsom salt baths, lots of sleep, right? Because your body, your body breaks down muscle tissues when it's working out. So you're not building muscle while you work out, you're tearing it down. But it, the repair, the building muscle actually happens while you're sleeping. So if you're not sleeping efficiently, you're not going to see those results of recovery that you would like to. And therefore, that could stall your your results as well. But I tell people all the time, if you're trying to put on muscle mass, be patient with your results, right? Don't look for these quick, fast gimmicks of, you know, put on 10 pounds of muscle in one month. Like, <laughs> you know, it's not a good approach, but like, you just be re realistic with your goals. Like, if you gained a pound of muscle per month, like, that's, that's really good progress, I think. And so, um, yeah, lifting heavy consistently and recovering really hard and eating at a calorie surplus you do need to eat at a calorie surplus and you can do it on keto too 
or you could do it with carbs. Either way, yeah. it's you know it's up to you. Um, but there's a lot of different approaches, and I think the biggest thing, honestly, is just consistency. Mm. With any type of body transformation, you have to stay consistent. You know, like when I trained for my 100 mile race, I only got through 80 miles. I had to stay consistent with my training um, because I knew that on race day I couldn't show up with it with if I just trained for one day trying to run 100 miles. I knew that I had to stay consistent with that. And so that's the biggest thing is consistency, consistency, consistency. That's it. So, uh, Drew, at the end, I always ask every guest of mine five very quick and short questions. But um, before I ask those, you haven't worked with thousands of people at this point. Um, what would you say to them on body transformation? To everybody who's listening right now to this, like, what would you say to them with all, all of your experience in, in the fitness yeah. and diet industry? Yeah, just realize that the physical stuff is important, obviously, and I've talked about that before. Like, yes, eating right and exercise and supplementation, like those things are important. But don't overlook the emotional connection to those things and and working on overcoming those emotional challenges that's going to keep you back from living this as a lifestyle. Anyone can do a diet. Anyone can go really hardcore for 30 days. But guess what? Most people go back to their older routines and habits mm -hmm. because they haven't fixed the internal mental and emotional challenges yet and that's why they can't live it as a lifestyle they can only do it for 30 or 60 days and then they feel so deprived that they just go back to their old ways until they overcome those mental and emotional hurdles and sometimes it stems from trauma as a child you know or abuse or some type of you know hardship or breakup or um you know we hold on to these things and we think if we just eat less and work out and stay consistent with the physical aspect of transformation that's going to save us when in reality we got to learn to let go of these mental and emotional challenges to really have a true transformation and so learn to love yourself where you are now come from a place of self-love instead of self-hate and you'll be so much happier now versus one day once i get my body once i achieve this which might or might not happen you can still be happy now so learn to come from a place of self-love versus self-hate and you'll be so much more fulfilled in this life where you are now instead of waiting till one day and you know maybe when you're 80 years old you're finally able to find peace you know like life's too short great advice so uh could you please tell everybody where can they buy your book find <laughs> you on the social webs listen to your podcast and so on and so forth yeah it's really simple so my um brand is all fit number two fat number two fit so that's my website that's my first book my second book is called complete keto Uh, you can find that Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, same thing with my first book, Fit to Fat to Fit. But my podcast, my social media is all Fit to Fat to Fit. If you want to follow me on social media, uh, appreciate you having me on, Hardy. And thanks for letting me get get my message. <laughs> so uh, the first out of the five quick questions is: um, What are the three books that had the greatest influence on your life? Daring Greatly by Brene Brown, The Four Agreements. Um, by Don Miguel Ruiz, and then the third book, man, that's a hard one. <laughs> I would say "Loving What Is" by Byron Katie. That's another really good book. These are all, um, you know, personal development type of books that you know. Brene Brown talks about overcoming guilt and shame. The Four Agreements talks about our perception as humans and how the Four Agreements of you know be impeccable with your word. Don't take things personally. Um, you know, don't make assumptions and always do your best. Like those agreements are, you know, powerful for us to go through this life without being miserable. And um, loving what is is about 
you know, learning to let go of expectations of my life should be this, and then learning to love the journey of where you are now, then you can find peace and happiness in, in, you know, the mess you're in versus I hate my life, blaming other people. You put expectations like I should be a millionaire. I should have, you know, this type of relationship and this type of family. And I blame this person and that person. You learn to let go of all that and focus on what you can control. So these are books that have really changed my life. I went through a divorce. Obviously, I talked about that. And this, these books helped me get to a place where I could find peace with myself and not see myself as a failure anymore. And then I learned how to operate. I, I developed that self-love. Operating out of a place of self-love versus self-hate um, is so much more fulfilling, right? You could have all the money in the world. You could have all the, you know, the cars and, and houses and like, you know, women, whatever it is, still be super unfulfilled and depressed until you learn how to love yourself. And you see so many people that have gone through that, you know, celebrities sometimes taking their lives or people seem so happy on the outside. It's unfortunate when you see someone that seems to have everything together, but they're miserable and depressed on the inside. So that those are the books that have really helped change my perception of operating, operating out of self-love versus self-hate. God, so uh, the second question is, um, what are the three movies that you have enjoyed the most? That's a hard one, man, because there's so many <laughs> movies that, that I grew up with that really shifted my perception. I would say, obviously, Braveheart. Uh, mm, great choice. Saving Private Ryan, and that's it. Uh, let's see, three movies. That's a hard one. Uh, I'll do a new. I'll do a newer one. Uh, the super. I'm a big superhero fan, so the Avengers Endgame, like that. That whole, you know, setup, like Infinity War to Endgame was really really cool. But if you're not into superheroes, you're not gonna you know, like it. But for me, it's just the storyline of following all the Marvel movies up until this one was like, definitely worth it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, the third question is, um, what, what else, or what is the most useful product or service that you have bought in recent memory? Mm. The most useful man. Yep. Venmo has made it so easy to transfer money. I love the, the, the easiness and the quickness of just, oh, here, I'll just send you 10 bucks rather than like, oh, let me go get cash out or let me write you a check or, you know, like transferring money to someone was so difficult back in the day with cash. And now it's just having an app like Venmo is like super simple. Um, <laughs> so I do enjoy that. Um, another product or service. Mm. Um. Another question. That's another good question. I think, you know, coffee maker. I love having mm. a coffee maker, like being able to brew my coffee. <laughs> like, uh, that's that's made a difference in my life. Um, I can't really think of anything else. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of supplements that I take, and they're all great. But um, I, those are my answers. Those are kind of lame, but. <laughs> so uh, the fourth question is, um, what are the most important realizations that you've had in the last couple of years and we had some guests who shared something deeply personal about their business relationships uh time travel so speak to anything you feel comfortable sharing with us today yeah i think you know going through my divorce um and i think 
you know, we all have moments of rock bottom in our life where we feel like we've hit rock bottom and we could either choose one or two paths. We could stay down there and play the victim and play the blame game. And sometimes staying there because, you know, sometimes people have wronged us and, and you know, people validate that and like, yeah, that like, like this person did this to you, like F them, like, you know, and we kind of make them feel good about staying that victim mentality. Hmm. Or you could say, you know what? I'm going to learn from this and I'm going to make myself a better person. And I think we have that choice when we hit rock bottom. And for me, rock bottom was going through a divorce and, um, you know, being seen as a failure. I had to change my perception of that. And once I went, did the work on the mental and emotional side of, of changing my perception of who I was and going through a divorce and showing up in this world as the real me, as authentically me for the first time, it, it translated to so much success and happiness in other areas of my life, you know, with, for example, my business, like it finally took off to where I wanted it to because I knew who I was. I was operating from a place of authenticity instead of inauthenticity. And um, so I was grateful for that rock bottom moment, you know what I'm saying, uh, of going through that divorce. And it's made me a better dad. It's made me a better entrepreneur, business owner, friend, in my opinion. And so I'm grateful I went through that hardship and I think sometimes we hate going through hardships because it sucks. It's painful. We don't like pain, but that's where pain is the greatest teacher and we can learn to learn from it or stay stuck in that. And so that's one of the things that's helped me. Got it. So uh, the last question for the day is through, um, what would you tell your 20 year old self? Mm. Stop caring what other people think of you. Learn to let go of your ego. Um, own your story. Like, don't be afraid to just be who you are and speak your truth. Um, I mean, back then I was so afraid of what other people thought of me and I don't know if I would have listened to myself, <laughs> like an older person telling me like, Hey, just do this. It's easy. I think experiences shape our beliefs more than people telling you, like your parents would tell you, Hey, don't do this. Don't do that. But until you have an experience, like your parents could tell you, Hey, don't drink, right? Don't drink alcohol in, in high school. And maybe sometimes you'll listen to them, but maybe it takes you getting arrested for underage drinking and realizing how serious this is that you're like, okay, now that I've had the, that experience, now I'm going to change my ways versus, you know, oh, my parents just told me not to do that. So sometimes ex having those experiences is what shapes our beliefs so powerfully moving forward, in my opinion. So, um, yeah, hopefully it answers your question. <laughs> Got it. So, uh Thank you so, so much, Drew, uh, yeah. being on the show. Uh, it was fun talking to you today. And um, yeah, thank you so much for sharing your advice. So, Yeah, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Bye-bye. <laughs> okay, see ya. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. Also, make sure to share the podcast and tell your friends about it. Thank you so much for supporting the show. I'll see you in the next episode. Over and out. <laughs>